good morning everybody it's lovely to be with you again on sunday morning now this morning's lockdown story is a real nightmare tale and tammy and tom have told it so well about the man swallowed into the belly of a sea creature and this puts like our lockdown totally into perspective and the more i've studied this story it's a kind of upside down story the way we expect everybody to behave is totally upside down now you imagine this lockdown nightmare. Imagine being swallowed into the belly of a sea creature for three days and three nights. This is just total nightmare. Now we know the end of the story, that after 72 hours, it's all over. But Jonah didn't know that. He probably thought that he would die in there. So nightmare one for him is drowning in a violent storm. And nightmare two is being saved but swallowed by a great fish in the saving. Now it's interesting when you study this, how there are verified accounts of large whale sharks swallowing giant squid whole. Uh, they've been known to swallow a cow, a man, a dog. The dog apparently was still barking four days later. And there are two types of like large whale shark or sulfur bottom whale, though the Bible doesn't actually say it was a whale. In Greek, it's translated sea monster. In Hebrew, great fish. But there are, there are two types that can swallow a man. They have a large mouth, throat, and stomach chambers that could swallow a man. And neither of these have teeth. And they kind of rush at their prey. Gallons of water go in, rush in through its big mouth and throat. And it has this huge air cavity. And if it eats something it doesn't like, they're known to have vomited up on the nearest piece of land. So there's many occasions of like giant fish, you know, big sea creatures eating things whole, swallowing things. But what a nightmare for Jonah, being locked down in a large fish and the, just the total uncertainty of how this is gonna pan out. And I would think he had time to reflect on his life and his actions. And during lockdown, I was just reading recently, um, listening to a, a podcast by two scientists, both psychologists and one a neuroscientist. And they were talking to themselves about what I've discovered about myself in lockdown. In what ways would I like to change and bring that change out of lockdown with me afterwards? So for example, both scientists were now working from home and the one who was a father with two daughters, he said, I've never spent so much time with my girls. They've brought such joy in my life. And I'm asking myself, how do I continue this afterwards, after lockdown? And he said, also said, I find myself so present with my children, rather than feeling in the back of my mind while we're playing, I should be working. And then the woman scientist, she was talking, she said, well, usually I travel so much for work. And my desire after lockdown is to severely curtail all travel apart from for fun and adventure. What would your change be? If lockdown brings like a moment of reflection to us, many of us may have found that we have like a, what they would call a shadow self. And this is the emotions, thoughts, fears that might be suppressed in the busyness of normal life. But now, under this kind of long-term stress in the background of lockdown and the uncertainty of constraints or easements in our lives, what has surfaced, what's come to the surface? And even now with lockdown easing and all the changes, many people have found new fears have come about. It's like there was the shock of lockdown. We just about adjusted to that. And now it's adapting to what will a new normal look like? And this can be causing a lot of anxiety as well. How far do I keep my distance? Is it safe? So let's take a moment to reflect.
What have you learned? What have I learned that we can carry through from this time into the future? So what was Jonah's reflection? Well, interestingly, stuck in the fish, he did have a change of mind, but no change of heart. And will the changes that we want to keep stay with us when this is over? Do they go deep enough? Do they go to the heart? And one of these doctors on the podcast was saying that his friend is a historian. And his friend was saying, this is what history shows us. While in a global or national crisis, people long for change. But once a crisis is over, human nature wants to forget as quickly as possible and return to normal as fast as possible. And in that way, valuable lessons can be lost. So let us reflect for a moment. What are the lessons that we have learned about ourselves? And what, with God's help, do we desire to keep or to change? So back to our upside down story. How did Jonah end up in a great fish? Now we know from the book of two kings that Jonah is a prophet to King Jeroboam II in the northern kingdom of Israel around the 8th century BC. And in chapter one of the book of Jonah, it's only four chapters, chapter one, verse two, it says this, the word of God came to Jonah, go to the great city of Nineveh, say to them to turn from their wickedness or destruction will come upon them. A simple and clear message, no ambiguity. And if we remember a similar message came to the prophet Isaiah, do you remember in Isaiah 6, 8, where it says, then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And Isaiah replied, here I am, send me. So what is Jonah's response to this amazing command from God and this, this chance to go? Jonah's response is no chance. He says no, he runs away. And this is a shock. We find instead that Jonah goes down to the port at Joppa. He takes a boat to Tarshish, which is on the west coast of Spain. And this is going like two and a half to 3,000 miles in the opposite direction. And every reader of the story of Jonah would know, as it says in Psalm 1392, that God's presence is everywhere. His care and his loving kindness follows you wherever you go. No one can run away from his presence. It was funny how the prophet runs away. And we find out why later on. Jonah says, I know you're a merciful God. I knew you'd save them. So I was going to save myself the trouble. In Jonah chapter 4 verse 2 it says this. Jonah says, isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you're a gracious and compassionate God slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. And Jonah admits here that he's going to save himself the trouble. Why go and do it? Now this is because the Ninevites are his enemies. Their evil ways and brutality were legendary in ancient times. And their hatred of this enemy is the root to Jonah's unwillingness and his disobedience. He doesn't want to go. He doesn't want to see them forgiven. So he refuses and runs away or he tries to. And this is not what we expect at all of God's prophet. So the next drama, he's on the boat, but a big storm kicks off. Jonah is below deck in a deep sleep. Now the storm is so bad that even the sailors are afraid. Now this is never a good sign. I remember many years ago, Julian and I were on a plane to Greece and we went through the most terrible thunderstorm and the plane was bouncing around. And it's at the moment that the flight attendant burst into tears that we all knew we might be in trouble. But there we are, we got there and we're here today. 
Now the sailors, the storm is so bad, they begin to throw the expensive cargo overboard. And the sailors are all praying to their gods with no effect. And then they look at Jonah who's asleep and they wake him up. And they're terrified when they hear this response from him. I am a Hebrew and I worship the God of heaven who made land and sea. And I've run away and the only solution is to throw me overboard. Now when they hear that he is a Hebrew who worships the very God of land and sea, they understand why they're in this terrible storm and about to all die. Now unexpectedly, the sailors try not to throw Jonah over and they try rowing for shore, but it says the sea grew even wilder. And in the end, they pray to Jonah's God, forgive us for killing an innocent man. And they throw him overboard and the Bible tells us the raging sea grew calm. What was the sailors' response to this? When they see this storm has gone calm, they all turn to God. They realize God is real. The gods they were praying to were powerless, but God is real, he has power over nature. They make a sacrifice to him. And these like pagan sailors carrying the prophet, they all turn to God. And this is why it's like an upside down story. The prophet is disobedient and running away and he's now drowning in the sea. But the pagan sailors so quickly turn to God. So what happens next? Well, in Jonah 2, that's where it records Jonah's song. And it's kind of written like a psalm, like other psalms in the Bible. Only this is like all about Jonah. And it, Jonah records his experiences of drowning in the sea. So in Jonah 2, he says, The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head to the roots of the mountains I sank down. When my life was ebbing away from deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help. In my distress, I called to the Lord and he answered me. You listened to my cry. Now God showed Jonah mercy. Here he is disobedient, running away. But it says the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah. Now drowning in a huge storm, that's bad. Saved, but swallowed by a big fish, that's great and awful. And you imagine he's in this big four to six stomach creature. There's other food and debris sloshing around in there. It's dark, it's smelly. And it takes Jonah 72 hours to finally say, okay, I'll do it. And in chapter two, it says this, Jonah says, I remembered you and my prayer rose to you with shouts of grateful praise. I will make sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. I will say, salvation comes from the Lord. In other words, I will do it. Now the surprise here is there's not really any repentance. He's not sorrowful, he doesn't see the light. He kind of says, okay, thanks. There's the grateful praise, get me out and I'll do it. And in this crisis moment, Jonah has no heart change, but he does give in to taking the message. And it takes this harrowing experience of near drowning, of being swallowed alive to say, okay, I will. It took a dramatic crisis to coerce his obedience, but no real heart change. He changed his mind, but he didn't really change his heart. He's still angry with his enemies and still reluctant to see them saved. Now Jonah has been shown great mercy by God and he carries a message of mercy, but there is no mercy in his own heart. It's like doing the right thing but with the wrong heart. And chapter 2, 10 says, and the Lord commanded the fish and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. 
So the next drama, imagine the beach or maybe the ocean or the great Tigris River at Nineveh. We don't know where Joe's, uh, Jonah was um, vomited up, but even at Nineveh, which is inland, but it's on, on the side of the um, Tigris River, we know that it had a deep moat around the city, 150 feet wide and 60 feet deep. Maybe the big fish swam up the moat, who knows? But imagine wherever he landed, there's people fishing, working, playing, maybe mending nets, and out of the sea emerges a huge sea creature. It opens its mouth and vomits a man onto the beach, probably with a whole load of other debris as well, leftover calamari, etc. Now, Jesus later says Jonah was assigned to the people. He's talking as well how he is himself, Jesus, is assigned to the people. And certainly, the sign to any locals of their enemy vomit up, vomited up onto a beach, preaching repentance was a convincing sign. And we know that Jonah eventually arrives in Nineveh. He obeys and he's told to go and he turns up. Now, Nineveh was a large capital city of Assyria on the east bank of the Tigris River. And this is about 550 miles from Samaria, which was the capital of Israel's northern kingdom. Now, for around a 50-year period, Nineveh was the largest city in the world. Now, it lay on an important junction of rivers and a junction for commercial routes across the Tigris, coming from the Mediterranean Sea from the west and the Indian Ocean to the east. An excavation has shown the tremendous wealth and glory of this great city. And, and it was phenomenal, it was huge. On its, on its ramparts, three sets of chariots could, could run side by side. And um, the ruins still lie in um, modern-day city of Mosul on, in northern Iraq. And in Jonah's day, Israel badly suffered at their hand. And Nineveh was a huge city fortified with inner and outer walls, and it would take three days to walk across the entire city. So Jonah reluctantly starts his mission. He said he would, and he does. And he walks just one day preaching repentance, and there's total revival in the city. It's absolutely astonishing. Now, unexpectedly, this brutal, evil enemy, legendary for their cruelty, within one day of Jonah walking in the city, they turn from their wickedness within a day, from the least all the way up to the king. They don't even question which of our evil ways, but they, they just, they fast, they pray, and they turn to God. Now, Jonah hated them, and it galled him to be there, and he was full of hate. And so by contrast, the, the baddies in the story all repent and wear sackcloth and ashes. And the goody Jonah is full of hate, even in the deliverance of this amazing message. Now, the people in Nineveh are given a 40-day deadline, but they don't wait until day 39 to turn around. Immediately on day one, they repent from the street to the palace. And the king commands the people, fast and pray. But the people are already fasting and praying and repentant. Chapter three, verse six says this. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne. He took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth and sat down in the dust. He sent a message to the whole city from the king and the nobles, fast, call urgently on God, give up your evil ways and your violence. And who knows, God may have compassion on us all. And he did. It was really amazing. Now this story really is about God's overwhelming love and mercy and his reach to all, to the pagan sailors, to the evil Assyrians. His mercy was extended to all. He is ready to forgive. He is quick to forgive, 
full of mercy and compassion and he responds instantly to our cry. God's love for us is so wide, so deep, so forbearing. It's reaching out, out to you and out to me. It knows no bounds and it will not stop. So let's not exclude ourselves. We are not too far. Maybe you're unsure which God to serve like the sailors, but God is real and he is here to demonstrate his power in your life. But maybe you feel far away from him like the Ninevites. They were caught up in a totally destructive lifestyle. They may have thought, is it too much for God to forgive us? But it's not. And we mustn't think the same. We, God says, here, I'm ready. I am ready, full of mercy. Just come to me. Now, when Jonah saw this astonishing revival, he said this, I knew God that you are gracious and compassionate and slow to anger and abounding in love. And that is who our God is. So gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. But instead of being full of joy, Jonah is full of anger. He is angry and depressed. He says, I'm so angry, I wish I was dead. He's doing the right thing with the wrong attitude. And he goes to a hilltop position to watch the destruction of Nineveh. Now, although he's prophesied deliverance, he's really still hoping that they will be destroyed. And full of judgment and anger, he sits there. Such an upside down story. It defeats all expectations. The baddies repent and the man of God is on the hill waiting for the fireworks. And in his angry heart, he, he's just sat there waiting full of judgment. Now later, many years later, Luke records Jesus talking to the crowds in Luke eleven twenty nine, As the crowds increased, Jesus said, this is a wicked generation. It asks for a sign, but none will be given it except the sign of Jonah. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And now something greater than Jonah is here. And of course, Jesus is talking about himself, that he was the one greater than Jonah, who spent three days and three nights in the grave when he went to the cross and he came alive again, is ready to forgive us for everything we ever did. We can never be too far from him to come to him and ask for his forgiveness. But he's also giving the example here of how quickly the Ninevites repented, that they would be assigned this hard-hearted generation that is standing before him now. Now this story could end on a high, the repentance of the Ninevites, the whole city turns, but there's this awkward last chapter, chapter four, and chapter four shows the ugliness of the human heart. Now, it's quite probable that Jonah wrote this book about himself. So he exposes his own heart and he's either hoping that, you know, his honesty will um, propel us to seek God, or maybe that we will side with him. But Jonah at this point in our story is full of self-pity, self-righteous and angry. In the fish he prayed, save my life. And now on the hilltop, after the revival, he says, take my life. I'm glad the Bible never shies away from the difficult things, how bad our hearts can be, you and I. Now maybe lockdown has brought some shadow emotions to the surface. We've got to know ourselves a little bit better. Maybe we've had some Jonah resentments to those around us or an inappropriate attitude. That anger is so destructive to our own well-being and to our relationships. So let's bring it to God because he is ready. He is ready to forgive us and help us by the power of his Holy Spirit to help us move on. In Ephesians 4.32, he says, be kind to one another tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. Colossians 3.13 says, put up with one another, forgive one another. If you're holding something against someone, forgive just as the Lord forgave you. 
And in Matthew 6, 12, do you remember Jesus says to us to pray like this and forgive us our sins just as we also have forgiven those who sinned against us. And when we come to God and surrender to him, it's in that very surrender that, our, that a heart change happens. That it's, it's not just a head change. I, I, wish, I wish it was better. I wish I could do this. But actually we come to God, we just surrender all. That, that we bring our heart to him. And there is a deep heart change. Because when there's a change in the heart, it is a change for good. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, he will work in us patience, forbearance. We become concerned to serve others, not just lost in our own frustrations. There are many things we want to learn. When we swan to God from the heart, he's quick to come to us by the power of the Holy Spirit to help us become ever more like Jesus. So to get back to this awkward last chapter, it gets to the very heart of God. So back to our final drama. Jonah sits on a hill waiting for fire from heaven. And to shade him from the heat, God brings a plant growing up. And Jonah's happy about the plant, but he's angry with God. And God sends a worm to eat the plant. And Jonah is so angry. And here's his final conversation in the book, chapter 4, 9 to 11. But God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is, said Jonah. And I'm so angry, I wish I was dead. But the Lord said, you've been concerned about this plant. You did not tend to it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left hand, and also many animals? Now, in, in the Hebrew, often not knowing your right hand from your left hand was describing children. So either it's saying there's 120,000 innocent children in this city, or it might be just saying these, these adults are so lost, they just don't know right from wrong. But either way, God is saying, I care for them. You care about the plant, but I care for them. And the book ends with a question left in midair. Is it right for you to be angry? And it also ends with a compassionate heart of God, where God says, and should I not have concern for all these innocent little ones? And the final word is God's. The central figure in this story is God himself, full of mercy, 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 and love. He showed mercy to Jonah. He was quick to respond to the sailors and the Ninevites, despite their evil. And he is one prayer away for you and I. We can never be too far. This is a year to love. Let us receive his love for ourselves again. We need a heart change, a change will, that will last. Now in closing, in London, in the British Museum, are several stone wall panels taken from the palace in Nineveh. And a hundred years or so after Jonah's visit, the city of Nineveh is totally destroyed by all its enemies. All the people that the Ninevites oppressed rose up against them. And this was foretold quite graphically in the book of Nahum. Now by this time, a hundred years later, the Ninevites had returned to their wickedness. Their barbaric ways were recorded on stone reliefs in their, in their palaces. And I think they did it to like um, glory in it, but also to intimidate their enemies. If you came as an ambassador and you walk along the palace and along the walls, all the terrible tortures that they did to people. And also their heroic pastimes, like they love to catch lions and fight and play with lions just for, just for their pastime. But in a generation, they went back to their old ways. And as we slowly emerge from lockdown now, what lessons will we bring out of it? That we don't, we don't go back, but we go forward with God. And what heart change is God asking of us in his great mercy? 
What is he nudging us towards? Because he is for us and he is full of compassion. So to summarize this amazing story, God is for us, he is with us. We're going to pray now, let's pray together. Lord God, you are a merciful God, gracious and compassionate and slow to anger, abounding in love. I thank you that you are unchanging, full of love and quick to forgive us. You have mercy on those who seek you. Help us, Lord, in our hearts, not to have an attitude like Jonah, doing the right thing with a bad heart. But actually, we will go and we will share. We will not judge others. And also, we will come to you and know your mercy in our hearts. And in this time of lockdown uncertainty, Lord, we ask that you'll bring us your peace.